When you do something wrong, you feel uneasy on the inside. Is that true for you? Uh, you know that experience uh, of knowing what's right, and then you've decided to do the right thing, but then the moment comes, and you're doing the opposite. Uh, it's been a long day. Work was stressful. You come home, and there's a mess in the kitchen. And before you see anyone in the family, you tell yourself, don't fuss about it. Clean it up yourself, and don't make a big deal. And then the, the kids come in, and, and then all of a sudden, the fussiness is oozing out of you all over them, and you regret it. You can't believe you're doing it. While you're doing it, you're, you're thinking, why are you doing this? Not that I know about this from Friday, but, and, and that's what I mean. You feel awful inside, right? right? Or a friend says something that's not nice, and inside you say to yourself, be bigger than that, but then you're blurting out a comeback, and, and with each word, you feel worse than the word before. Right? Or the kids are testing your patience again, and you know that you should be patient. You've been here, you've learned about Jesus' um, gift of patience, and you tell yourself, be patient. Maybe you were even here when I gave that message where I introduced that annoying song about patience, and you're singing it inside. But then you're yelling at your kids, and you're, they're scared. You can see it in their face, and you hate yourself for it. But there you are. And what I want you to learn this morning is that the uneasiness that you feel in moments like that inside is actually a gift from the Holy Spirit. I'm really thankful that I get to teach this community about the Holy Spirit in part because churches tend to be very narrow in the way that they teach about the Holy Spirit. And what's missed is the many and broad and wonderful gifts that God actually gives us by dwelling in us. And this is one of them, and this is what I want you to see this morning. It's the first big idea I want to give you. It is that when you are doing the wrong thing and you feel uneasy in here, that's actually God's Spirit in you, and it's a gift. That's the first big idea. Now, uh, there's a reason why the Spirit makes you feel uneasy. This is going to be the second big idea for this morning. It's because the Spirit's goal in creating that uneasiness is to turn you from the wrong direction back to the right direction. Uh, and, and really, everything does come down for, for us uh, to how we choose to respond to that uneasiness because we can either run away from it or let it turn us back toward God, and that's what the Spirit wants. That's the second big idea. And then the third big idea is that when we do, in fact, turn back to God, no matter what it was that we were re responsible for that made us feel guilty, what we receive every time from God is a merciful, joyful, loving reception which forgives us and renews us from start to finish. And that's who God is. It's the most, uh, it's the most fundamental reason why what we need to learn, every one of us, is that we're beloved by God even when we're going in the wrong way, and we know it, and he knows it, what he wants even then is, and here are the three ideas, to make us feel uneasy so we turn back toward him in order to receive forgiveness and mercy to be renewed. That's the whole message for this morning. Uh, we're going to let Jesus teach us this first idea by looking together at words of his that are recorded in the 16th chapter of John. Uh, he was with his friends who he loved more than they could even imagine. And because he loved them, 
before he went to the cross, and this was just right before he went to the cross, he taught them in this way. This is verse 7. Uh, excuse me, it's verse 6 in, in chapter uh, 16. It's verse 7. And, and does it really matter which verse it is now that I'm, I'm going back and forth? All right, here we go. <laughs> Jesus says, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete will not come to you. That word paraclete, I've left that in Greek as I did a few weeks back. It's a word that means the one called alongside. Jesus loves his friends. He's told them that he's going to depart. He sees how heartbroken they are and he wants them to understand that there's no reason to be hopeless because when he goes, he will call alongside the very presence of God to be there with them. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, Christ's own presence will be there with and in them. And therefore, it's not a bad thing that he goes. And he wants them to understand that. This paraclete, the one called alongside, will be an advocate, will be a consoler, and will be a helper. And that last term is the broadest. And, and after explaining in, 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 and declaring to them that it's good that he goes and telling them that when he goes, this helper will come. He says why that will be helpful in this way. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. It is good that I go because when the Spirit comes... The first thing that Jesus mentions, it's not the last, but the first thing is that the Spirit will convict the world of sin. Here we need to take our time. The direct object of the Spirit's work of convicting is there, the world. Jesus tells his friends, it's good that I go because when I go, my presence will come and it will have an effect in the world. It may sound to us like this is a distinct category from the disciples, as if there is the group of disciples here and the world out there, everyone else. And it seems perhaps like he's teaching them that when he departs, the Spirit will come and do something for all of the other people that the disciples don't, in fact, need. If you read on, you'll see that Jesus defines the world as those who do not believe, and so it may sound in our ears as if what the world needs is different than what the disciples need. They need to be convicted of sin, but not us here, because we always do the right things. You feel like that or not? I hope you don't. I hope you don't. It may sound that this is just something for other people, but we know it's not true because elsewhere, John, the very same man who recorded and, and memorialized these words of Jesus, elsewhere, he would write, if we say that we do not have sin, and he was talking to people who just like us were working as hard as they could at following Jesus, at believing in him, at growing in embracing the treasure that was theirs. To them, he said, if we say we, we don't have sin, we deceive, does anybody know how it finishes? Ourselves. And I think it's so wonderful that he chose just that, ourselves, because he knew we certainly don't trick the people around us, right? And we don't fool God. And in fact, when we do that, we run and hide from the gift that the Spirit actually gives us when we're aware of the fact that we don't always go in the right direction. 
Here, what John wanted to tell all of the followers is that while there, of course, is a difference between those who believe and the world that does not yet believe, there are other things which unite us. And one of the things that unites us is that all of us sin. All of us go the wrong way. All of us have those moments, even after we believe, where the Spirit has let us know what God wants the Spirit enables us to do what God wants. That was last week. But still, we don't do it. Uh, all of us have had that experience. Uh, would you acknowledge it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if that's not enough, um, let me share these words from Paul. Uh, there is therefore no distinction. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth about this category, the world, is that it includes everyone, listen now, whose life demonstrates that in the moment they are not believing in Jesus. And can I suggest that when I'm fussing and I know I shouldn't, I'm saying with my actions, I don't really believe in Jesus. Do you see that? Or when I fire back at my friend, I'm saying, yeah, I don't really believe in Jesus. Uh, or when I'm erupting in this way, or whatever else it is for you, my action is saying that I'm in the world. Of course, the object of God's love is not just the people who believe. Do you know this passage? For God so loved the world, right? <laughs> not the disciples who get it right. No. For God so loved the world. So here Jesus wants the disciples to understand that there's a gift, and the gift is this. Look again. He will convict. Now stay with me for a moment. That word convict is at home in a courtroom. Uh, imagine yourself before a judge. You're being cross-examined because of an accusation that's been leveled against you. And as the accuser is bringing up all the details, inside you know you're wrong and you did it. And you've been hiding it until now, but bit by bit, light is being shined on the truth. So your own culpability is coming to light and there before the judge it comes into full expression that you have done this thing wrong and you are guilty of it. That process is the process whereby you are being convicted of what has happened. And this is what Jesus says the Spirit will do in us when he departs and this treasure is dwelling within us, not in some imaginary courtroom, but in your heart. Your own conscience will experience a sense of uneasiness and you will quit trying to tell yourself it's not wrong because that overwhelming sense inside of you will make you quite clear that you should not be doing it. You should not have said it. You should have done something. And that inner uneasiness, according to Jesus in this moment, is a gift from God to the disciples. Now, would you put yourself in their position as best you can and try to imagine what it would have been like emotionally to hear from Jesus in this moment something like this. You ready? Hey, I know you desperately don't want me to leave, but it's a good thing that I go away because when I depart, instead of being beside you every day, from now on, I'll be in you making you feel bad when you do the wrong thing. <laughs> right? It doesn't sound good, does it? But I want you to listen now and I'm asking you, every one of you, to be mature here. The reason it doesn't strike us right away as a good thing is, is in a sense... It's, it's a reflection of a confusion in terms. And here we have to be cautious. The inner sense of guilt in you 
which makes you want to hide and think you are worthless is not what Jesus is talking about here. It's not the same thing. His promise is a world of difference from that. What he says the Spirit will do, and I want you to see these words, is to convict. And that's one thing. But what most of us, and even those of us who've been following God for a long time and working at understanding and accepting his love for us and for other people, what we will habitually experience internally when we do the wrong thing and regret it often shades into a different experience, which is condemn ourselves for the wrong that we've done and we know is wrong. And we may think that these two are the same. They are not the same. Let's focus first on condemn. Uh, To condemn is more than just bringing a fault or a failure to light. If you picture that courtroom scene, and I mentioned that the process where the guilt is made clear is called the conviction, that's different than the sentencing phase. So condemn is more than just guilt being determined. It's a course of action which follows that verdict. It's to express, and and follow me here, to condemn is to express and enact complete disapproval of a person because of the establishment of his culpability. It's to censure that person totally. It's to officially declare her as unfit, him as unacceptable, rejected, and deserving the harshest possible punishment. In criminal cases, we reserve this for death penalty convictions. The person is condemned. Even if we've never thought of the definition, I suspect that most of us know the internal experience of self-condemnation. And we don't like it, and we shouldn't, because it's awful. You're sharing that embarrassing thing about your friend, and everybody's laughing, and your friend's not there. And you're smiling too, but on the inside, you're sick of yourself. You're pretending to be someone who isn't you because you've learned to anticipate what the social environment requires for you to be valued. And as you are a hypocrite in that moment, you look at yourself and you say, you are worthless. You're such a fake. You're figuring out how to cover your tracks on the browser so no one knows what you were looking at on the computer. And you erase it from the history on the computer, but you can't get it out of your head. And it says over and over again, give up, you're never going to get this under control, and all you'll have to do from now on is hide, you shameful person. Or you're scanning through the text messages to delete the ones you know that your spouse can't see, and you hate yourself for it, even as you go on hiding. Listen now, uh, maybe none of these is yours, but I, I know this about you because I know human beings. I am one. And I've listened to so many over the years to know that all of us find our own ways to pronounce the sentence of condemnation against ourselves for the things that we wish we could manage and haven't yet figured out. And when that happens, when that's the uneasiness in you, Please listen now, that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not. 
It's the work of an unholy spirit. Uh, a, a very thoughtful young person who's pursuing faith asked me recently, Christian, do you believe in demons? Because of what's there in the New Testament. And I know that people have abused uh, teachings about those kinds of things, and I don't know what the right words are, but what I said to her is, I do believe that there are voices that inhabit us, that tell us things about ourselves that are not true and are the opposite of what the Holy Spirit does. Do you remember the first way I defined a few weeks back the paraclete, its advocate? That's someone who speaks up on your behalf. The opposite of advocate is accuse. And it's no surprise that in the scriptures, the spirit of wickedness, Satan, is called the accuser. And so when that happens in you, when you are condemning yourself because you know you're going in the wrong way, please listen to me this morning. That's not the spirit of God making you feel uneasy. It's another spirit wanting to destroy you. And when that happens, I'm, I promise this, the, the, the treasure that is within you, it... Uh, I don't know if this is wrong to speak like this. I think God's own heart breaks when we condemn ourselves. It may seem too anthropomorphic to talk about God like that, but God is the lover of your soul. He is the lover and the embracer of everyone who's wandering in the wrong way because he wants you to go in the right way. And God loves us so much that he won't force us. But he doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't. That uneasiness is from him, and the question really comes down to what we do with it when we feel that uneasiness. Whether that uneasiness becomes a gift depends on how we respond to it, and there is, without any question, a predictable outcome for everyone who hides what he's doing wrong from God. Uh, to every woman who has this experience of, of inner unease, who responds by trying to hide it from God, the outcome is always the same. I promise this is what's gonna happen. It will ruin you from the inside out. It will. And if you have this picture of God being the tyrant who's waiting for you to do something wrong so that you can receive whatever anger or punishment God wants to put out upon you, then you have the wrong idea about God and of course you're gonna go on hiding it. But if you will, what's going to happen is it will ruin you from the inside out. Look at these poetic words which express the experience of one man who was doing the wrong thing, knew it, and hid it from God. This is Psalm 32, verse three. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. Has it ever been so bad for you that you groan? Seriously, has it? Yeah. Do you, do you sometimes groan on purpose because it makes you feel a little better? Does anybody else do that? It's not a bad strategy. Sometimes I'll go, I'm serious, I'll go on the couch and I'll go, uh, it kind of lets a little bit out, right? But it's not especially constructive, is it? It's not. It's like letting a little pressure out of a pressure cooker and then it just builds up again and so you need to groan again. And here's a man who says, it's like I'm groaning all day long and it's beyond that. My body is wasting away. Uh, the author of these words was a lover of God, a lover of life, a vibrant, alive person, full of gifts. The spirit of God was upon him. He was, you know who wrote these? As some of you know, it was David. He was alive and, and he was filled with verve. However, there was a time 
where he was doing the wrong thing and he hid it first from the people around him, then himself, then from the people who were harmed by what he did. All along, he tried to hide it from God and for him, it just got worse and worse on the inside. Uh, do some of you know the story of David and Bathsheba? Gosh, it's like, it's like a, a, a soap opera uh, in the Bible. It's awful. Uh, here, here's the Cliff Notes version of it. Uh, David sees a woman who is uh, another man's wife, and she's beautiful and attractive. Her husband happens to be off fighting a war for David, and he, he, he brings her uh, to be with him. Um, they spend time together. Uh, she ends up pregnant. And in order to cover what he did, which is wrong, he has her husband killed it's so ugly. And all along, one step after another, here's a man who's doing the wrong thing and God is helping him see on the inside that he shouldn't be doing it, but the way he responds to it is every single step of the way, he tries to hide it. And this is a promise for all of us. If we will behave as if the Spirit is in us to condemn us and we hide it, before long, this will also be our prayer. And listen to me, please listen now. If right now you're thinking, my goodness, it's like the Spirit of God is talking to me right now because I came into this church and I'm hiding stuff that I, I know is wrong and you're starting to feel really anxious about, well, who, how's this gonna work out? Can I just tell you, put aside all of the other people in the world that you're afraid of, how they'll react, and if you just think for a moment about God himself, then here's what the Spirit wants you to know. I'm gonna say this with all the clarity I can, that God is just eager and ready for you to run to him so he can embrace you. Think of the safest place you've ever experienced on planet Earth, okay, whatever that is. Maybe it was your grandmother's embrace when you were a little child. God is that grandmother waiting for you to come so he can embrace you and say, I am so glad you came to me because I've been making you feel uneasy in this way. Don't worry about telling other people just yet. Imagine that because un until you experience that, what will happen is your body will waste away and then David says this. Here's a second line of poetry. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. He experienced the internal presence of God as if it were a hand pressing him down heavier and heavier, drying up his strength like the summer sun dries up the moisture in a desert. And that is David's way of saying, even before Jesus would teach the disciples that I'll give you this treasure which will help you feel uneasy, it's David's way of saying, God was in me making me feel uneasier and uneasier and uneasier. Why? Look, it's not to condemn, it's to convict. And conviction here means very simply to help me see the truth, which is first, that what I'm doing is wrong, but then second, and this is the truth that I get to declare to you as your pastor who loves you. The truth is God is so ready for you to come back so that he can pour out his grace upon you and his forgiveness and renew you so that you not only have no more guilt because you were going the wrong way, but so that you also have the strength to take a step now in the right direction. And if tomorrow you stumble and go the wrong way yet again, the same will be true because his mercies are never ending. That's from the word of God. That's from the Bible. His mercies are new every morning steadfast love, there's no end to it. The anger of God, oh, that is fleeting and it will go away. 
The steadfast love of the Lord is higher than the heavens and deeper than the sea. And what that means is his attitude toward you is the moment you will let the gift of the Spirit draw your eyes to what you've done wrong, then this is the second thing I said I would teach you this morning. Then you will turn back to God and go to him because the conviction will draw you to him. There's a theological word for this process. It's called repentance. Have you heard that word? If it sounds to you like a churchy word or a word that has, that's a good adjective, right? It's so churchy, right? Or a word for people in robes and and sacred places, uh, put that out of your mind. Try this word on uh, uh, for different uh, attitude toward the word. In essence, repentance is deep sorrow and genuine regret for one's actions that results in a return. It results in a, a revolution. It, re- it results in a decision which comes to an action where you have a new way of thinking and you depart from the old path and you run back to the arms of your heavenly father who is so eager for you to come back so he can lavish his love upon you and make you new. And that is precisely the spirit's goal in making you feel uneasy. And if you will become a person who grows to embrace the riches that are yours by God's spirit dwelling in you, then what you do is you stop running from that conviction and instead let it turn you and move you toward the God who will give you everything you need. Here, this is how David finishes this line from Psalm 32. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not hide my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That confession on David's part, the description of his response to that inner unease is an invitation for every one of us to allow the Spirit's uneasiness to turn us toward God and to trust that when we go, we will experience forgiveness and renewal. And this is, by the way, just one of an abundance of moments in Scripture where we see what is repeated over and over again, which is when we confess our sins to God, He is faithful to forgive us and make us new. Uh, A lot of you have signed up for the text messages uh, to receive them. This week, uh, each morning, you'll see another moment in Scripture where the character of God is described in such a way that God intends you to grow away from the foolish and self-destructive hiding in shame so that you turn to Him and receive the renewal that only He gives. Listen to this one. Who is like our God? Uh, This is uh, from the book of Micah. Who is a God like ours? Pardoning transgressions and forgiving the sin of his remnant? He delights in showing clemency. Do you know what clemency means? I didn't know. I had to look it up. It's a legal term. It means a decision not to execute what justice would demand, but instead to extend mercy. And and here God's character is described as different from everyone and every other God in that not only does he do that, but he does it with delight. Can you picture that? I, I, I want you to picture this. Imagine the thing that makes you want to hide, especially from God, because you know it's wrong, and he does too. And then imagine God eagerly awaiting your turn And the moment you do, imagine an expression of delight on the face of God. And that's who God is for you. God loves you. 
If I could say just one thing to you, it would be those three words. If I could say it in a way that you would believe it and own it, then I would do everything that I've ever wanted to do. God loves you, not the person that you're supposed to be, but the person that you are, just as you are. It would be immature to think that that means that everything you do, God's okay with. No, he loves you too much for that. He loves you. And he has put his own presence within you to cause you to feel uneasy when you're on the wrong path so that when you do, you stop and you turn back to him and then experience the delight of your creator, your redeemer, your Lord and your Savior and your friend who is ready to make you new yet again and then to go on being in you on this path so that you, and this is the last word I want to say, and so that all of us, and I mean this for Renaissance Church, become the church that is a visible and a brilliant and a bright sign of God's love for the world which needs it. Let's pray. God, we love you and thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift of your word which teaches us. We thank you that you are with us as we learn and that you move inside of us so that we grow. We ask now that uh, what you've stirred in the hearts of each person who is here this morning uh, would be like a good seed planted in, in soil that is rich uh, and then it would grow and that every one of us would learn more than before to pay attention to those moments when you are causing us to be convicted of what we are doing wrong so that we turn toward you and receive the grace and renewal that you give. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.